Pastor Xavier Reese and the simple truths of trivial traditions we do to be religious. There's a lot of things that people do in church that God says, why are you doing that? Traditions, ritualistic things. You say, God, why do we talk to God so weird? Traditions. You know why it is? Because I want you to believe that I'm really spiritual. What began a relationship becomes mechanical and it becomes sin to God. And the angels throw up. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. There are those who can easily rationalize doing the wrong thing for the right reason. But when it comes to a holy God, there isn't any right thing we can do and get away with it for the wrong reason. And as Pastor Xavier takes us back to the Old Testament book of Zechariah, we find God rebuking His people for attempting to do just that fasting for a disingenuous reason. And that's the simple truth Pastor Xavier has for us today in a message appropriately titled, Religious Ritual is Empty. Let's listen. Zechariah chapter 7. The prophet Zechariah has finished with his visions that have been imparted by God in one night. In Zechariah chapter 1, from verse 1 all the way to 6, 8, we find these visions. The visions were finalized with the prophetic stone a crowning of Joshua that pointed to the crowning of Jesus Christ in the kingdom age in chapter 6, verse 9 to 15. The remaining chapters are prophetic revelation, not visions, chapter 7 to 14. Now the next two chapters deal with a group of men inquiring of God if they should continue to observe certain feast days and practices as they had during the captivity And then also it deals with the future kingdom age, chapter 7, all the way um, down to uh, the last verse of chapter 8. What we want to do is focus our study on the seventh chapter that reveals God prefers obedience over ritualistic ceremony. Let me read our text here in chapter 7, 1 through 14. It's now in the fourth year of King Darius. It came to pass that the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month of Shishlub, when the people sent uh, Sherezer with Regum Melech and his men to the house of God to pray before the Lord. And he asked the priests who were in the house of the Lord of hosts and the prophets, saying, Should I weep in the fifth month and fast as I have done for so many years? Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Say to all the people of the land and to the priests, When you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh month during those seventy years, did you really fast for me? For me? When you eat and when you drink, do you not eat and drink for yourselves? Should you not have obeyed the words which the Lord proclaimed through the former prophets when Jerusalem, the cities around there, were inhabited and prosperous, and the south and the lowland were inhabited? The word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Execute true justice, show mercy and compassion, everyone to his brother. Do not express or oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. Let none of you plan evil in his heart against his brother. But they refused to heed, shrugged their shoulders, and stopped their ears so they could not hear. Yes, they made their hearts like flint, refusing to hear the law, and the words of the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Thus great wrath came 
from the Lord of hosts. Therefore it happened that just as he proclaimed them, they would not hear. So they called out and I would not listen, says the Lord of hosts. But I scattered them and the world went among all the nations which they had not known. And thus the land became desolate after them so that no one passed through or returned. For they made the pleasant land desolate. God prefers obedience over ritualistic ceremony. That's what chapter 7 declares. And it's characterized by three things. First, the delegation that inquired from God. Verse 1 through 3. Second, the consternation expressed by God. In verse 4 through 7. And thirdly, the castigation revealed by God. In verse 8 through 14. We begin with a delegation that inquired from God, 1 through 3. Notice in verse 1, the prophet Zechariah recorded the date of the prophecy as we have seen before and also in, in Haggai. The date is complete and concise. Now, in the fourth year of King Darius, on the fourth day of the ninth month, Shishlub. Once again, the prophecy is dated by the reigning Gentile king. This is the time of the Gentiles, from the head of gold, Nebuchadnezzar, down to the ten toes. That's the time of the Gentiles when Israel is no longer in power as God's authority. This is um, the fourth year of Darius' reign. That means this prophecy is almost two years since the visions have ended. In fact, 22 months if you compare the date of chapter 1 verse 7 to here. Two years and one month since the first prophecy of Haggai the prophet in chapter 1 verse 1 of Haggai. Remember Haggai and Zechariah, they're prophesying together. They play relay races, passing the baton back and forth here, prophesying by God. In the temple at this point, in two more years, it will be finished if you look at Ezra 8.15. So they're halfway through in the temple, and God is again dealing with them. Now notice the prophet Zechariah in verse 2 through 3 recorded the twofold purpose for the arrival of this delegation. The people are, had sent this group. Uh, we don't know who these people are, but simply they stated that they were sent by men. They probably are from Babylon, like um, the previous group that came, Haldai and Tobijah and Jedediah, who brought the gift of silver and gold to make a crown and to have it placed on Joshua's head, symbolic of the future kingdom coronation of Jesus in chapter 6 verse 10 through 11. They came from Babylon. It says right there. Now, some say they come from Bethel in the north of the land of Israel by the phrase here, house of God, which means house of God means Bethel. And so they they take this and they automatically conclude that they're coming from the north of, of Israel. But the verse simply says that they were sent to the house of God which would indicate Jerusalem, the temple's being built. So when you read some commentators, you'll say, man, I never saw that because it's never there. So a lot of people read into the text what's not there. It simply says they were sent to the house of God, not the Bethel. Okay, Bethel does mean house of God, but it doesn't say they came from Bethel. The only implication in common sense is they've been in captivity of Babylon. They were, came from the same place as the previous group. Now, the names of these men are given. They are from Babylon, their names. Uh, Sherezer means uh, uh, send away. Regan Melech means uh, dwelling. The other men, they just say his men. We don't know the number. We don't know the names. And these are the two guys that are prominent. And that's it. Now, the purpose was twofold. Look at uh, the end of verse 2 and 3. 
First, they were sent to the house of God to pray before the Lord Yahweh here. The house of God was the temple. There's no other thing we can conclude. The temple is being built. It will be finished in two years. And they came to pray. The word pray there means to become weak or grieved before Yahweh, the holy covenant God, to seek his will. The reason why they went to captivity is they didn't do his will. They went contrary to his will. Now God has chastened them, brought them back. He's working. And they are to demonstrate a repentant heart. As we'll push through the text, we'll see this. Second, they were to ask the leaders in the house of God to seek God about this question on fasting. The priests who were over the house of the Lord of hosts notice. The captain of the armies of heaven the judge and protector of Israel. The prophets Zechariah and Haggai, as you know, were used by God to call the people to repentance and to continue the work in the temple. In Haggai chapter 1, verse 1 through 6, he called them to repentance. They repented. They went up to the mountain and began the work. In Zechariah chapter 1, then now God is using him also. The people are actively being used by God. And even though the work is not as great as Solomon's day, it is the new work. Therefore, it's the most important work. And they're to celebrate that. Now, notice the request is stated. Should I weep in the fifth month and fast in, as I have done for so many years? The fifth month was August of 586 B.C. in commemoration of the destruction of the temple by Nebuchadnezzar. You find this in Jeremiah 52, verse 12 through 13. And they had fasted on this date for 70 years in captivity, accompanied with weeping, lamentations. The Jews were very demonstrative. They would put a sackcloth and throw dust in the air and weep and everything else. In the times of Jesus, you know that they could hire professional mourners to cry for your dead one. Okay, A lot of hypocrisy, a lot of acting religiously like. And uh, we're going to see that God has this against these individuals also. The problem was that God never instituted this day of fasting or weeping. The practice of fasting and weeping is a denial of oneself by food because we're, I want to seek God. I want to hear from God. I want to just be directed by God. Not that the fasting forces God to hear me or not that the fasting forces God to direct me, but to demonstrate my heart, my passion for Him. So it's not some ritualistic mechanical thing that happens automatically. There was only, by the way, only one day that God commanded for fasting. That was the day of Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, Leviticus 16. Only one, none other. Man always wants to put all kinds of things to demonstrate and to give an appearance that he's spiritual when he's carnal. I think um, Ezekiel was encountered with the same thing in the captivity. Listen carefully, this illustrates our point. And there stood before them... Seventy men of elders of the house of Israel. And in their midst stood Jezaniah, the son of Shaphan. Each man had a censer in his hand, and the thick cloud of incense went up. These are the elders, the spiritual men. Then he said to me, Son of man, God speaking to Ezekiel, Have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel do in the dark? Every man in the room of his idols? For they say, The Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. And he said to me, Turn again, and you will see greater abominations that they are doing. So he brought me into the door of the north gate of the Lord's house. And to my dismay, women were sitting there weeping for Tammuz. Then he said to me, Have you seen this, O son of man? Turn again, you will see greater abominations than these. Tammuz 
was supposedly the son of Nimrod by his wife Simramis after Nimrod had died and she got impregnated miraculously and he was out hunting boar one day and he was killed and 40 days afterwards he was resurrected, the counterfeit of Jesus Christ. By the way, those 40 days are where you get the day of land. Back from Babylon. They're worshiping Tammuz in the days of Ezekiel, which was the son of Semiramis, which was the wife of Nimrod, the one who stole men's souls away from God. Oh, Babylon. Interesting. The failure of men and women is to think that God is indifferent or worse, overlooks their corrupt living, like the elders of Ezekiel's day today. To give an outward appearance of spirituality when in fact there's too much carnality. This book is relevant today. This is happening today within the church more than ever because of the lowered ethic and norms of our entire nation and world. And so it's been lowered within the church. To offer service to God while living in sin. Maybe some of you slept with your boyfriend or girlfriend last night. Some of you got drunk. Yet you're here seeking the Lord. Now I'm glad you're here. But if you're here, you need to repent. To just go before God and think that he somehow pardons you and because you're such a special person is a self-deception. As we move on in the text, we will see this. Listen to Matthew twenty-three, thirteen. Jesus speaking. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. People who misrepresent God stumble other people from entering in. Even keep people from going in. God is active and in control of history, as you know, in a way that we cannot fully understand. And God predicts certain events that will take place, such as the, the nations to rule at any set time, and even rulers at time, in the time of the Gentiles. He declared it to Nebuchadnezzar. But God never forces any person or nation to do anything against their will, be it good or evil. Otherwise, God would be responsible for the evil that they did. Then how could he judge them? God gives free reign to man. It's no problem for him. Nevertheless, because God knows all things, he cannot learn anything. So he's omniscient. Then his foreknowledge, he knows what's going to happen before it happens. So for God, it's, you're not a problem. I'm not a problem. No one's a problem. Nothing's a problem. Okay? God has never said up in heaven, oh, I didn't know that. I didn't think about that. So God is actively intervening throughout the course of history to bring about his will, working through believers as well as non-believers without violating their will. How can I be? I don't know. We'll ask him together. But it's no problem for him. And the record of scripture bears that out. Isaiah 46, 9 through 10, God speaking. He says, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. And if you can say that, please stand up. No one knows even the next second what's going to happen. There are many people who have questions about the Bible and Christianity, both believers and unbelievers. We are not priests or prophets. We are ministers of God to teach you the word of God so that you can depend upon God to live your life, not upon us. That you not be deceived, tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine, as Ephesians four eleven through 14 says. We're here to serve you, not to rule you. We are from you, among you. We're just like you. No different. 
Some people question why we do not practice certain things and why we do other things. And every time we must take you to the scriptures and show you in God, this is why we do what we do. This is why we don't do what we don't do because it's sin. It's against the Bible. And so it's not our opinion. It's what the Bible teaches. Many people twist the scripture in this context and they make it all culturally relative for today. You know, it's still relevant. Now, when it isn't relevant, fine. But when it is, it's relevant. Sin is always sin with God. We cannot twist it. Those first born again have many questions about the Bible, sometimes in relationship to the religion. Well, I used to do this, can I still do it? No, you can't. Because I take you to the word, look what it says here. I was raised a Catholic, you know what I mean? You have your idols, you have your virgins, you have your scapulars, you have all this kind of stuff. It's all idolatry. So I don't do it. Because God prohibits it. First and second commandment. Simple. And so, we are to sanctify the Lord God in our hearts and be ready to give a defense to everyone who has a reason for the hope to line us with meekness and fear, First Peter 3.15 says. You are to give an answer to your, your, your father, your mother, your family members, your brother, your sister, your friends, your co-workers, everything when they ask, well, why, why do we, why, what do you mean he was born again? What's this born again stuff? Well, why, what's the difference between you and a Buddhist? Where do you get this sin stuff? You really believe in the real Satan? Oh, yeah, come here, let me show you something. Taking of the word of God. That's the authority. So this was a delegation that inquired from God. Okay? They had God's word, but they had added all kinds of other stuff. People do this. Notice secondly, comes the consternation expressed by God. In verse 4 through 6, the prophet Zechariah received the first answer. God exposes their fasting as empty ritual. God made himself known to the prophet Zechariah. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, once again, the prophetic formula indicating the source, the origin, the nature of the revelation. The source is divine from the all-knowing God. The origin is from heaven through God who is omnipresent. The nature of their covenant God is by the title, all capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh. He made a covenant with them. He has authority over them. Once again... The all-important title is proclaimed the Lord of hosts. If you get tired of it, God doesn't. Do you think God is just trying to fill up space? To give us a fat book? 22 times it has appeared up to this point. This is the 22nd time. Out of 54 times in the entire book. Only 14 chapters, 54 times. Six in this chapter. This title, as we have Noted means the captain of the armies of heaven that communicates two things. God is the punisher of Israel and God is the protector of Israel. Israel gets to choose. When you grew up in your house, you had parents. Your parents, you determine whether your parents were your protectors or your punishers. By your actions, they didn't determine it. Everybody blames God. No, no, no. You determine whether you want God to be your protector or your punisher. By your actions, by your attitude. We're going to see this real clear. I don't understand God. Well, you will one day. We try to turn the tables. Try to blame others. Notice verse 5. God made known this insincerity of the people in the past. He directed his message to the two groups. Say to all the people in the land of the land and the priests. The people were identified as those belonging to the land. Not merely they had come back to the land. The people in the land go together like peanut butter and jelly, I've told you. God gave them the land. They have the pink slip, the Bible. 
The priests were the men to care for the things of God. In the Levitical system, very detailed, the law. Offering sacrifice first for themselves, then for the people. The high priest would go in only once a year with, with many washings and blood for the sins of the nation. Notice he exposed the sin of the people of the land and the priest as a prosecuting attorney that knows and has all the evidence. This is the heavenly courtroom. And this is a rhetorical question. Listen. When you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh month during those seventy days, did you really fast for me? For me? If you're a parent, you know what God's talking about here. When you tell your son, do you think I just fell off the turnip truck? Rhetorical questions have one correct answer only. This is like all other rhetorical questions. Has one correct answer. No. No. And God says, I don't think so. You weren't doing it for me. Wow. Now, do you think God's lying? Do you think God's embellishing here? He's exaggerating? Or is he telling the truth? The repeated phrase, for me, for me, affirms the ironic sarcasm here. You really fasted for me? Think about it before you answer again. The particular times are stated. When you fasted and mourned in the fifth and the seventh month during those 70 years, August and October. These are only two of the four days that are commemorated by them, not by God. The fourth month, you find them in chapter 8, verse 19. The fourth month, May, they um, commemorate the entering of Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Jeremiah 52, verse 6 through 11. The fifth month, August, the temple was burned. You find that in 2 Kings 25, verse 8 and 9. In Jeremiah 52, 12. And the seventh month, October, was when Gadaliah was assassinated, who was left there by Nebuchadnezzar to govern the land. Second Kings 25, 25, and Jeremiah 41, 1 and 2. In the tenth month, January, was the siege that began the whole thing in Second Kings 25, 1 and Jeremiah 39, 1. Now, none of these days, none of these events, God said, I want you to make it a holy feast. A commemoration. Never. So we lay a lot of things that God never meant. There's a lot of things that people do in church that God says, why are you doing that? Traditions. Ritualistic things. People pray, oh God, I want to thank you. Why do we talk to God so weird? Traditions. You know why it is? Because I want you to believe that I'm really spiritual. When you hold your Bible. Well, you flip those pages. You say, God. What began a relationship becomes mechanical and it becomes sin to God. And the angels throw up. God made known that the people and the priests were only interested for themselves. To the very present. And this is present tense. Look at six. The heavenly courtroom continues as God, the prosecuting attorney, asked them another question, knowing and having all the evidence. The second rhetorical question is presented. When you eat, now present tense, not past. When you eat and when you drink, do you not eat and drink for yourself? Don't say no. So you do the like these feeds. You get to feed your face. You're not, you don't have me in mind. This rhetorical question again, the only correct answer is yes. And if they say yes, God says, I know it. The practice revealed that it had become pure ritual and formality. 
to serve themselves their own purposes rather than being genuinely seeking God. Pastor Xavier Ruiz has been unveiling the simple truths of religious rituals that in time become mere trivial traditions while losing sight of God along the way. Now you can hear this message again if you like online anytime by selecting today's date under the radio tab at calvarychapelpasadena.com. But you can also request a CD copy of this timely study titled Religious Ritual is Empty. As always, they're available for just $4. And make sure you share this helpful insight with your brothers and sisters in the Lord once you're through. The title to ask for once again is Religious Ritual is Empty. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it's helpful when you mention the call letters of this station when you contact us. And then join us for more Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese right here next time. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com